Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine. And with me today, back from Las Vegas in the best shape of his life. (laughs) In the best shape of my life. Ah, this is retired Lieutenant Frank Borelli. And if I sound like I've got a cold, it's because I brought home the SHOT Show crud. It's a notoriously famous, oh no, it's a sickness. It's not COVID this time. Two out of the last three, I had COVID when I came home. It's not COVID this time. It's just the yuck. So if I sound like it, I apologize. It's not uh, meant to reflect on our audience, just Las Vegas specifically. Anyway, morning, Joe. Morning to you, and, and yeah, thanks for hanging in there. I uh, the the convention crowd is, is no fun to to deal with. So um, we'll 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 bre- we'll try to keep this quick. And as always, we've got a packed show, so let's get started. Um, for our first story, we go to uh, New York City, and this week, um, NYPD released body cam footage from just uh, the scene of a horrific crime uh, last uh, the end of last year. Um, where uh, four people, including an 11-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy, uh, were stabbed to death in a a home in Queens. Um, And a 61-year-old woman also was stabbed. Uh, The body cam footage, however, shows um, the suspect coming out of, or who had been out of the the house with luggage and his encounter with police. And it shows the scary moment where the officers are engaging with the man, talking with him. He is, you know, talking with them normally and then suddenly pulls out a knife, stabs both of the officers. They were able um, to uh, get their weapons and and fire and fatally shoot the man. But um, it it shows just in the split second what can happen. Um, you know, here, here, these officers are trying to get information about the scene, just arriving there. Um, one of the other things too, is the suspect upon leaving the house, uh, set fire to it. So they're at a burning home, um, with this man who is, is out there and trying to, to get the information. And, and suddenly it just, um, it, you know, turns horrible. Um, it, it really just kind of gives a, a snapshot of, of how quickly things uh, can change at a, at a scene. And, you know, that's the biggest point I want to make here, Joe, is um, it, people seem to want to take months and months after the fact to, to be critical of an officer or officers after they take an action, especially if somebody dies. Um, and And they need to understand that what they're taking months to figure out those police officers had to figure out in the blink of an eye in a quarter of a second yeah. or less, um, you know, that this guy would have happily killed the officers is beyond question at this point. He'd already murdered four people, including two kids, an 11 year old girl and a 12 year old boy. Uh, he stabs both officers above the shoulders. Right. So one um, in the neck and chest, the other one in the head uh, and they shoot this guy, you know, I'm sure he has family someplace, somewhere, or friends or somebody that thinks these police officers did something wrong. And maybe they should have tried to shoot the knife out of his hand or some BS. But uh, I'm not going to shed any tears. I hope these officers recover well and fully. Um, 
you know, but again, I encourage officers and family members. It's hard to watch, but watch the video and understand just how fast things can go sideways and how little time the officers have to respond to this attack. And make no mistake, deadly force should be answered with deadly force. The guy's trying to kill him. They shot him not to kill him, but to stop the threat. The fact that he died, sad side effect, but that's what happens when major vital organs get impacted by projectiles going a thousand feet per second. Um, yeah, kudos to the officers on a job well done. I hope they heal well. And, and I, you bring up a good point because um, there have been instances, um, and in, I mean, you go back a few months or whatever of of cases where officers have. Uh, shot um, suspects who had weapons, but they weren't firearms. And there has been criticism of that. Um, this this illustrates just how dangerous these situations are. And just because the officers have firearms doesn't mean they're they're suddenly it, it, like there's some force field around them that that keeps them safe or or, or sort of you know. Uh, it increases their, you know, uh, life bar if they're in a video game. Uh, um, it, it, you know, they are they are just as as in peril as if they didn't have a weapon uh, in a case like this. And and it shows just how dangerous um, an individual can be with with a knife. Um, I mean, this I believe this was just a a a normal um, kitchen knife. Um, uh, a large kitchen knife, but but still, you know, it wasn't like uh, some some type of, of of military combat knife. No, um, a butcher knife, and you know, that's forgive me for interrupting you, but one no. of the mistakes we still make, and and we all do it. There's no way to avoid a kitchen in a house or an apartment, no matter where we go. If it's a domestic hall, if it's some, there's always that kitchen, and there's always mm -hmm. a butcher block. There's always yeah. always weapons in a kitchen. Um, this guy had your average everyday butcher knife. I don't care if it was a three inch paring knife. You only have to get under the skin a quarter inch to open an artery and kill somebody. So, yes. you know, again, yeah. it, average everyday butcher knife, not a hunting knife, not a combat knife, not a quote unquote tactical knife. It's a knife. And he had butchered four people, you know, before meeting these these officers. So, um, yeah, it just again, it, it horrific scene, but it does illustrate just just how quickly things change and and, and I, I hope it, it it sort of opens the eyes of some people um we can only hope moving on to our next story and actually we'll stay in in new york city and this is a, an ongoing story and one that um it, it is it is upsetting a, a, a lot of uh, nypd officers um over the weekend um uh, I, I think the two nyp officers were attacked um, outside a Times Square shelter by a, a group of migrants, as, as many as 12 people um, were part of the attack. They um, beat and, and kicked um, officers who were trying to um, break up a, a, a disorderly fight um, uh, outside of the, the shelter. Um, since that attack, uh, I believe um, four people, as many as four people have been arrested um, and uh, police are still looking for uh, other suspects. I think all in total, I think in total, eight suspects um, are, are being sought um, by police. Um, it, 
it, what has been upsetting, and this is a story actually, uh, we're recording this uh, Friday morning. Uh, I had just posted this story is uh, according to um, reports and sources, um, four of the uh, the suspects who who were arrested and released with the without uh, without bail um, actually have have gone to California and and while they are able to do that the, you know if they don't show up for their court date that's when a, a warrant will be issued um, but it, it is something that um, it, it is upsetting uh, NYPD officers um, that uh, number one that the attack happened and number two that. Um, these suspects have been um, able to 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 be let go and and uh, uh, apparently travel uh, out of state. You know, and we're gonna we're, we have another story we're gonna talk about later in the show, Joe, where mm -hmm. we're seeing politicians empower criminal behavior, uh, and this is exactly what's going on here. You know, New York declared itself a sanctuary city years ago, and not getting into the politics of migration illegal immigration undocumented whatever um when you have people with little to no respect for the law uh, and then you empower them to commit crimes without fear of punishment and allow them to move freely around after they've been arrested to avoid the prosecution you are doing nothing but supporting and empowering criminal behavior the politicians in new york are responsible for this as far as i'm concerned the people that continue to elect them for whatever reason are responsible as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, at some point, these police officers, um, they're going to look around and go, why am I doing this? Why am I risking my life? You know, it, they, they do their duty, they honor their oath, and, and they get no backing from, from the politicians. The New York City Council ought to be ashamed of itself. They ought to be offering public apologies. Um, you know, they ought to be taking some more action against the migrants. Uh, if you're an illegal immigrant, there ought to be enhanced uh, restrictions, not minimized or none. Um, somebody owes these officers an apology. I hope everybody's OK. I know the one officer was, was injured, received a cut to his face, treated on the scene. Um, you know, California, unfortunately, is probably not going to do anything to try to get these guys back. If they know they're in California, they know where they are. They're not going to they're not going to extradite him to New York for an assault and battery or an aggravated assault charge. Maybe they needed to be charged with attempted murder and then we could actually deport them. Um, but that's it. That, then you get into the whole political debate of what's what. And oh, my gosh, that's getting old. Yeah, it, 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 it's a it's a mess. Um, and and it, it, it's something like you said, it. It, it the whole idea of it is upsetting to the rank and file of the NYPD. Um, it it puts them in a position questioning, you know, what am I doing out here? What am I, uh, you know, why am I doing this? Um, and, and it also, you know, again, you're you 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 sort of um, you're worried. You kind of you don't necessarily know that your your city has your back, so to speak. Um, and, and I'm sure that, you know, out on the street, that that concern, um, it, you know, can can get you in trouble. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, these officers have to deal with it. I mean, that's uh, that's part of the job. But um, yeah, but you, you, you wish know, you wouldn't have to do it. it. It's part of the job, but you shouldn't have to deal with it that yeah. way. You shouldn't. Right. 
you shouldn't you should go do your job um fully aware of the support you get <clears throat> and the challenge is when you don't have any support then you really you have to wonder why you're still doing the job you know what i mean and it no no police officer who takes that oath puts on that badge does it just for a paycheck you don't risk your life just for a paycheck um it, yeah i'm i the, the city council, the politicians, they need to get behind NYPD or they need to dissolve NYPD and let uh, Manhattan become escape from New York. <laughs> Moving on to our next story, um, we'll heading over to Missouri, where uh, St. Louis area is looking at a um, anti-violence plan uh, trying to uh, decrease murders in the metro area. Uh, by about 20% over the next three years. Um, the plan has is taken some criticism from a um, St. Charles um, County official who says that it, it emphasizes social services uh, more and needs to, and, and doesn't take uh, police um, and law enforcement into account as much as it should. And he'd like to see that, that change. Um, the, this plan is it, it, it's uh, I guess that's emblematic of of what a lot of communities are are, are doing and trying to um, carve up the pie, if you will, between what law enforcement does and and what social services does, and trying to bring in um, uh, social workers and in some cases, instead of having police respond to certain calls, um, it. It's still it's one of these things, too, where it's in early days um, in all the communities that are, that are trying it. Uh, so the effectiveness, I, I, I don't know, is really um, has really been measured yet. Um, but this is something that <laughs> it has. Been okay, go, well, it, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, but it has been measured everywhere. They've said defund the police, um, reduce police presence, increase social worker presence. Um, don't send police on calls for criminality. Send social workers. Everywhere they've done this, the crime rates have gone up. We've measured the effectiveness of it. Crime increases. Now, is it more humane? Potentially. I'm not going to argue that. Uh, would it be better sometimes to have teams where you have some social workers and some police right. officers? That's worked great. My own home county here in Maryland, one of the first counties uh, in, this, in the country to combine SWAT officers and trauma psychologists and nurses to deal with some of the emotionally challenged people that end up committing crimes. And it, it's not that they're criminal intent. It's that they're challenged with uh, a mental disorder, emotional disorder, whatever. So I'm not against this idea, but you, it, it's, there's gotta be a balance. And when you say we're going to defund the police or we're going to, we're going to add dollars to try to reduce crime and it's all going to be social workers. You're not going to see, a change for 20 years. It's going to be a generational change. We've measured the impact of this short term. The measured impact short term is an increase in crime. And the politicians that are denying that are hurting their communities. Wow. You know, not feeling good really <laughs> makes me grumpy about these things. Though. Well, the criticism, too, that this um, this official had is uh, in the proposal, it was it broken into three parts where um uh, uh it divided between law enforcement 
um, non-enforcement leaders in government, uh, nonprofit business and public health, and then representatives of uh, impacted communities and community and faith-based organizations. And this official's uh, idea is that why, why can't this be basically make the, it's got to, instead of into thirds, break it up into half. And so at least, or at least give half of this to law enforcement. And I, I, I we still haven't figured out, um, I, I guess, the, the right formula um, in, in trying to um, involve social services on on these types of in these types of situations and calls. You know, I, I see day in, day, day out, um, you know, reports of people having mental crisis, but these what happens is they they're in violent encounters and it's not something that a social worker is is really going to be able to handle on his or her own um and <laughs> oh, go, go, uh, go ahead um, we we have the, the the st louis mayor who says she doesn't think that they can get half the people from law enforcement their 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 law enforcement agency is down well over 15%, like 16 or 17% short. They're paying overtime to the police officers. They hired them. They would actually save money. Um, but I, I think I'm all in favor of this. Let's, let's like the, the video that we were just talking about where the man stabbed two police officers after murdering four people. Let's send out social workers and people from faith-based organizations and let them deal with the, the, the homicidal maniac. I don't think that's going to work. Later, we're going to talk about one where police officers actually have to corral zebras. Let's send out the social workers and the folks from the faith-based organizations. That one might work. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you have a threat, a criminal threat in your community, the only people who deal with it effectively is law enforcement. Everybody else provides support services and or options after the threat has been neutralized or controlled by law enforcement. And if, People just got to get past the fact that they don't like cops because the news media told them they can't like cops. Moving on to our next story, uh, we'll head over to Ohio, where Cleveland's mayor um, is looking at cutting um, nearly 150 police positions from the budget. Um, but this is a case where he just doesn't want to eliminate the positions. It's the idea of taking that money that they're saving and uh, increasing the salaries of uh, police police officers in an attempt to um, help uh, a long term recruitment. Um, it, it's a it's an interesting strategy. Um, I, I don't know that I've necessarily uh, seen it in, in, in cities before. Um, you know, obviously, staffing and recruitment are are big issues um, for law enforcement agencies across the country, um, and, and they're trying. The Cleveland is trying to to solve that. And they're getting rid of positions that they feel they wouldn't normally be able to fill. Um, but at the same time, by reducing um, these spots, they're, they're cutting their their police force. And you 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 always wonder, all right, are you still going to have, uh, you know, uh, an effective force with with these numbers? Um, you know, you hope that uh, they've they've crunched the numbers and done the math properly, that that's the case, because um, you know, I, we've seen um, other agencies have success, um, uh, you know, by making sure that their their salaries are are competitive. Um, and uh, if this is if this is going to help Cleveland do that, then, um, you know, 
long term that this could be a good solution? So uh, what I'd really like to know, Joe, is mm -hmm. what's the three year plan and what's the five year plan? So, I mean, for, mm. for one year, this this is to me, this is a, a good way of doing it. If you're if your agency's 400 officers short, um, excuse me, 300 officers short at the moment uh, and you want to cut 150 to fill 150 to increase salaries, of the people that are there so you don't lose any more to put towards recruiting retention. So you hire some more. And then next year you add another 150, that makes sense to me. If you have a, a budget cut or a reallocation now, and then you're going to put those positions back. If this is just a way to do lip service, to justify cutting a budget with no intention of putting that money back in one, two, three years, then it, this is a political boondoggle. But um, I've, I've seen other agencies who have had the same plan um, mm -hmm. where they say, okay, look, right now we can't fill these spots. We can't manage these spots. Uh, recruiting and retention is way behind. We're losing people to other agencies. Let's keep the same budget of dollars and reallocate. We're going to reduce the strength, which means we're taking money out of the salary line item and maybe some out of equipment, maybe some out of training. And we're going to put it over here in recruiting and retention, and we're going to increase the salaries for the officers that exist by this much that we have now extra because we've got these other positions. It, it is just a matter of moving numbers around in the line items if it works and, and if, if they have that three to five year plan. If this is a one year plan, Cleveland's going to suck even worse next year. Hey, you know, you bring up a, a good point, the idea of of, of putting that um, that money back. And and thing I've always been told is once once you get rid of it, don't it's it's even never listen to the promises that you're ever going to get it back um there's right. always that concern um and 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 that is a good point um yeah it it it, it and they'll it, look at the crime rates after they've cut these positions if this is what happens they'll look at retention recruiting and crime rates if retention's okay recruiting goes up and crime rates don't change drastically they'll see no need to put that money back that'll be the justification right. yeah and and at the same time, I, I understand not just doing the same thing and, and more or less banging your head against the wall of, of saying, hey, you know what, let's tr let's keep trying to fill these these openings that you're you're there's no way you're going to do that. So, you know what, let's let's figure out a different way and, and see how that works. But but again, yeah, you know, once those those posi positions are gone, it, it's going to be hard pressed to to have them come back. Yep. Uh, Moving on to our next story. Um, this is out of Arizona and actually ran the story last week, uh, but it was on the Friday and I, I definitely wanted to talk about it. Uh, officials in the, that state are um, considering lowering um, the marijuana use limit for uh, police recruits. Um, it, it's uh, recreational marijuana is legal in the state. Um, and, you know, as part of the screening, it's figuring out what is the acceptable limit of of marijuana use for um, people coming, joining a, a law enforcement agency? Um, and it, it's this is this is a question that uh, I think a lot of states um, are, are going to be looking at. I, I know I think it was New Jersey uh, is uh, you know has been mulling over what to do with um, all, you know whether officers are allowed to off duty 
um, smoke marijuana and, and things of that nature. You know, I, there was uh, another story last week, um, uh, a state looking at, at whether officers, you know, can, can even carry a gun while, while, um, using marijuana, whether they're off duty or on duty. Um, so it, it, it's a question now, a lot of, of agencies and, uh, governments are, are having to deal with. So, uh, I want to weigh in here as an old guy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if you, when, when I was hired into law enforcement all those many years ago, when you were filling out your background form and it asked about drug use and you said you had smoked marijuana even once, it was potentially disqualifying. <clears throat> what we're talking about here uh, in this story is people, for all we know, who are habitual and regular recreational users who stop using for X amount of time to get hired. Right. Um, you know, is, is, is two years long enough? Is six months long enough? Let's remember something and then consider it from the, the law enforcement perspective. Federally, the federal law still prohibits you from possessing a firearm if you are a regular drug user, if you're a habitual drug user. And it doesn't make a difference. What's this one chief says? We're not talking about dangerous drugs. Um, you know, we're talking about marijuana. Um, a lot of people are using it. Yeah, it's against the federal law, but nobody really enforces that anyway. It's not a narcotic. Uh, you know, it. When a, when a law enforcement agency and and setting aside everything that's going on in Texas where you have an entire state arguing federal power, when you have a law enforcement agency that says, well, I know that's the law, but everybody else ignores it, so we can ignore it too. I think that sets a very, very bad precedent, number one. Number two, what everybody's smoking today is quote-unquote marijuana. A lot of it is this synthetic stuff that is not natural marijuana, and while they can defend all day that it's not a narcotic and it's not a dangerous drug, we're seeing behaviors out there that are highly irresponsible, very, very poor judgment, so on and so forth as a result of the use. And then you bring up the gun possession. Um, if, if the agency's general orders say that the officer has to be armed anytime they're in the jurisdiction off-duty, and then they go out smoking marijuana and they got a gun, Who's responsible when they make a poor decision with the gun? And for that matter, same thing with alcohol. I mm -hmm. I carry a gun regularly. I don't consume alcohol while I'm carrying a gun. A lot of officers I know do. They say they limit it. They say their judgment's okay. If God forbid you got to pull the trigger and you're in an off-duty shooting and then they drug test you and they find alcohol in your system, especially in today's world, the progressive prosecutor, you're going to get jammed for having your judgment be impaired. I'm just, you got to expect the worst and try to prevent it. I'm I'm 100% against this. I don't think Arizona cares about my opinion. Um, if you've got somebody who tried marijuana a few times when they were a teenager and they haven't done it in years and they apply to the police department and they clear the drug test and all that, great. But you're talking about somebody who as little as six months ago was smoking marijuana and you want to hire them to the PD? Um yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a good idea. And I know recruiting intention is retention is a challenge right now, but I think it's a bad idea. And, and it, I mean, we're getting that you brought up alcohol and marijuana is getting to that point where um, it, it, it certainly hasn't gotten to the acceptance point of alcohol. 
but um, you're you're seeing it growing um, in, in corners where um, it hadn't. And I, um, uh, you know, with more and more states um, legalizing it to certain degrees, um, it, it, you know, it, it it's going to become something that um, people are going to challenge. Uh, on, on coupled with the fact of what we just talked about in the previous story of staffing and recruitment issues that uh, law enforcement is facing. And now if more and more, if, if people now are using marijuana in the same way they more or less were drinking, um, it, you know, it becomes, it becomes a, a problem. And um, I, I think what you're saying too, uh, you know, it, it, it's something I think as a whole really needs to be thought about uh, a, a lot closer than I think it has at this point. And, and it, a lot of this is moving it's moving very fast um yeah. and i don't think um all of the the variables are being considered um uh, you know when legalization kind kind of hits as far as like oh what are we going to do with police recruits well, i don't think that's one of the first you know things that pops up in people's heads and, re and remember states have legalized it federal right. government still hasn't right and there are a lot of federal decisions that affect the states and unfortunately uh, we're going to run out of time, so we have to kind of wrap okay. up on this one, and it's going to be our last one we talk about. But this is going to be a hot topic moving forward. It's going to severely impact recruiting and retention, but it's also going to severely impact um, our use of force training and decisions and everything else, general orders, policies, all that's going to get affected until the states and the federal government get on board and, and make it the same law across the board I was never in favor of, of um, legalizing marijuana use. Um, and certainly if you're going to legal, if you're going to say police officers can use marijuana and that's okay, then you better make policies that say they can't be armed while they're, if you can't drive a car while you're smoking dope, you can't carry a gun. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So if, but then I do apologize to our readers, our listeners, and we're going to have to kind of wrap up on this one. So. Absolutely. All right, moving on to our last story. And this is out of Indiana. Um, and again, it's one of those cases of you never know what's going to you're gonna encounter when you wake up uh uh and go to work uh, um one day. So this is a case of an Indiana State uh, trooper and a Grant County Sheriff deputy having to help corral um circus animals um that uh you know got loose during uh or actually were caught in a um uh, a truck fire um they were being transported by a shrine circus um and uh the video uh, captured from this is you're you're seeing uh the trooper the deputy having to to deal with camels and zebras and i, I you know i just can't imagine you know thinking well hey you know what today's gonna do I'm going to, I'm going to have to, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, a, a zebra doesn't uh, die in, in a circus fire. Well, I tell you, this is, we talk about working in the zoo and, and this <laughs> makes it uh, more real than we want to think about. Right. But, uh, you know, congratulations to the deputies that, that did it. Glad they were able to help and save the animals, uh, five zebras, four camels and a miniature horse. Uh, thank God there was no partridge in a pear tree, but, <laughs> Um, I'm glad that they got it taken care of, Joe. Yeah. So that wraps it up for, again. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Frank, I'm glad you're back safely, although a little under the weather from SHOT Show. Um, hope you had a, a good time out there. Uh, I did. It doesn't make me grumpy, though. I look forward to next yeah. week's and feeling better. 
as always, uh, stay safe. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.